0: and I would grab my daughter and I would walk all the way home because I had to sell my car to survive. I literally had nothing. But all the while, I never gave up on my dream.
1: This is about humans dreaming together.
0: About humans
1: supporting each other on our journeys. It's about the science and the art behind making our dream lives a reality. To the students of life. The young and the curious. The dreamers and the doers. To those who crave to be a strong individual and want to be part of something bigger than themselves. Welcome. 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 Welcome Welcome to the Dreamology Podcast. Hello everybody, this is Tim Bishop. Thanks for coming back to another episode of the Dreamology Podcast where we are here studying how to make our dream life a reality. The next generation of dream chasers, the next generation of entrepreneurs, and the next generation of big thinkers was let down by the education system, by the messages that society told us, by the things that we didn't learn. And so we are here picking up the skills, the habits, the mindsets, and the resources necessary to do the things that we want to do in the world and to become the people that we need to become in order to make the change that the world needs from us. So today's guest is really special, P.J. Hill. P.J. Hill is a former professional basketball player who played 10 years overseas in Europe. He played Division I basketball for Ohio State and he is now a big part of the social justice reforms that is happening in Minneapolis. He was a leader in the marches uh, for George Floyd, and he is now a activist in the Minneapolis area who is hoping to make the change that the world needs to see. His story, however, did not always start with such success. PJ grew up in a home with nine brothers and sisters, a three-bedroom home. They had no money. His career in basketball looked like it was going to be a complete bust, and even his career after basketball looked like it was going to be a complete bust. He really shows us, his story really shows us that anything is possible, and that if you believe it, and if you keep working at it, and if you are mission-driven, and you focus on your process, and you really, really want something, that you can go get it. And so, in this episode, we talk about his journey. And the first 20 to 30 minutes is really him sharing his crazy journey of how he made his dreams a reality. And the odds were stacked against him. The failures lined up one after another after another. But PJ kept going, he kept moving and grooving. And so, the first 20 to 30 minutes is honestly PJ just talking about his life story. And then we dive into. The idea of overcoming failures, overcoming obstacles, how to gain confidence on your journey, what mindset to have when you're attacking you know, your big life goals and what expectations you should come into with. And then we also talk about the current situation in Minneapolis. As I said, PJ was a leader, is a leader. In the social justice change in Minneapolis. He was a leader in the George Floyd Marches for Life, which I attended and saw him leading one of those marches, which is how we actually got connected to do one of these interviews. And we talk about what we can all do, next steps in our own life, but also in form of racism, in form of social justice, in form of making the world and creating the world that we want to live in. And so it's a very powerful and special interview, and I hope you get a lot from it. And I will stop talking now and let us get right to it. So here is the interview with PJ Hill. Everybody out there, listeners, thank you for coming back to another episode of the show. Today we got an awesome guest, PJ Hill. PJ yes. is from Minneapolis, Minnesota, but he has been around the world and back. He's <laughs> an ex-professional basketball player. He's now a financial advisor. He's very involved in the Minneapolis area. And he's a whole lot more than just those labels that I threw out there. But PJ, I'm grateful that you're on the show today. How you doing, man?
0: I'm good, man. Thank you. I'm grateful to be on the show. Love everything you're doing. Listen to episodes. It's just been great. So I'm glad to honor to be on the show.
1: Awesome, man. Well, uh, you know, before we before we dive too deep into your story and stuff, you know, I'm just curious how you've been holding up uh, during. You know, we've been in lockdown for a long time here, obviously, and uh, the world's gone through a lot of stuff. Uh, you know, obviously, the killing of George Floyd happened right on our home turf, and uh, life's been a little bit crazy. So, I'm just curious how you've been doing and how you've been holding up through through all these times right now.
0: Uh, man, I've been hanging in there. Uh, things have truly changed for me. I mean. My life has, in the last two months, been flipped upside down, man. Mm. I actually live a couple blocks from where George Floyd was killed. Um, I go to church at that church, so that was the biggest whirlwind event for me. And then on top of that, Mm. we have uh, the coronavirus that's just changed the world and how our new normal will will look so it is yeah. i'm good for the circumstances
1: yeah <laughs> well that's good to hear man it's good to hear that you're sticking in there but yeah it's it's a whole new world that we're playing in now and so it's it's going to be interesting to see how we all can navigate this and, and find ways to to keep marching forward um true cool man well let's 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 go back i want to I kind of want to start, you know, way back in the beginning of your story here, man, because I knew that originally basketball was a big part of your life. Um, but I, I'm curious, you know, just the foundation of uh, of that for you. You know, how did you fall in love with the game of basketball? How did that become a big part of your story? And and when did you know that it was maybe going to be a big part of, uh, of your life?
0: Man, it, it started for me from the beginning. So just a little context. My, I grew up in a family, I'm one of eight siblings. Mm. So we, we have a big family. Yeah. And my dad, he grew up in um, Detroit, then moved here when he was young. And so he didn't have his dad in his life. But basketball was the only thing he truly knew. Mm. So uh, my dad taught us from a, like a young age. He, he would always say like, I don't know school. I don't know nothing else. I grew up in foster care and lived house to house. The only thing that I ever had was basketball. Mm. And so my dad taught us basketball knowing that basketball would be that vehicle for us. Me, my little sister, she's in the WNBA. I've had three other sisters or a couple other sisters play college basketball. That basketball would be that vehicle that will lead us to a better life. And Mm. so I I, I commend him. I, I remember times when I were young where my dad would, you know, miss work to take us on basketball trips. He would make, big sacrifices wouldn't pay bills we'll come back from AAU trips and we wouldn't have lights we wouldn't have water and my mom never understood that like why do all of this for basketball like it doesn't make sense because she didn't grow up in a household like that either did my dad but my dad knew and he had a vision for us mm-hmm. and it actually came true I mean he wanted us to be able to go to college for free and four out of my sip four out of my nine or eight siblings have done that, mm. so and with the rest going too, you know mm. so I that's where it started you know from a very young age I'm probably two or three years old and my dad all he knew was basketball so that's
1: what he taught us yeah man that's uh that's awesome yeah I mean to see this yeah. see the success <laughs> right I mean that's uh something that you know I was a, you know, a 5'9 white dude, and and I had dreams of, uh, you know, going to play, you know, in the NBA, and, you know, it doesn't always work out, but hey, I realize that that all kind of teaches you stuff along the way, too, but man, it's cool, 100%. To see, you know, it's cool to see what you were able to do. At what point did, uh you know, I'm curious, because you kind of mentioned your father instilled it in you, um, and then I'm just curious, at what point did it shift, and you were like, this is... Or from the beginning was it always like this is my dream too, or was there a point where you hit like you know late high school and you were like I can do this I can I can I can be a professional basketball player I can be a collegiate athlete like was there a turning point somewhere in there that you just kind of started to believe it yourself?
0: So yeah man yeah this is how it started my dad would make us do it and when you do something I believe like when you teach kids to go after some sports is like a vehicle that is used for a lot of things. And what it taught me is work ethic. So it gave me something to go towards. And then I just started to love basketball. So my journey is super unique. I played at Minneapolis South for two years, started varsity as a freshman, and they went not the strongest school in the conference, but we were good. Then I tra- transferred to Minneapolis North my junior year, which was a, one of the powerhouses in the state. Mm. And I played there. And when I graduated high school, I had no offers, Hmm. no division one, like nothing. So I didn't know what I was going to do. Like most people graduate, uh, you know, high school, they have already filled out, uh, applications to go to college. I didn't do none of that. Nobody in my family had went to college. Well, my mom and dad, they went to college, but they went to junior college and they never finished. My mom actually went to the Navy right out of school. So, I didn't know what I was going to do. I remember being at my uncle's house, like literally just sitting on a trampoline, talking to my mom and saying like, what am I going to do? And my mom said, just go walk on somewhere. Like you're good enough to make it. I was always an underdog. And so I'm like, man, walk on. I know I can play division one. I'm not going to give up on those dreams. And I got a call from my AAU coach. His name is James Ware. Now he's coaching at Park Center High School, but he coached, at the University of Minnesota, a bunch of other places. And he said, uh, there's a school in Midland, Texas. It's a junior college, top-level junior college. They have a guy there who's a sophomore who's transferring to Cincinnati to play basketball there, so they have one spot open. Would you be willing to go down there and try out? I said, yeah, I'll go down there and try out. So I flew down there, worked out with the guys, and I did absolutely unbelievable. So, after the workouts and everything, the coach came to me, Coach Grant McCaslin, and he said, uh, PJ, I'm offering you a full ride scholarship. So I'm like, cool. <laughs> That's so good. My mom, yeah, crazy, right? <laughs> so I called my mom and dad. I'm like, all right, I'm going to Midland. So now I'm, I'm this kid who goes all the way to Midland, Texas, West Texas, is like oil fields, like really nothing. I remember the first day I got on campus and it was like, what the heck is this? And there were so many good players, I actually didn't think I could make it there. It was kids from New York, kids from Houston. And one thing you got to know about junior college is like all the really, really good kids who don't have grades, who have other life stuff holding them back, Mm. but they're like the most amazing kids. So it's like a super grind. And I didn't end up starting, played the whole season, ended up starting, and we won a national championship. (laughs) Yeah. I got a huge national championship ring that was like the first time in like 30 years that they've won. So it was like crazy. Dang. Yeah, it was absolutely crazy. Won a national championship. And after the, the season in the summer, there was a top 100 camp. It was a Jerry Mullins top 100 junior college player camp. Originally, I wasn't even invited. So I'm like, all right, I'm going to come back to school. I'm going to go home in summer. I'm going to keep working on my game and come back and really kill it my sophomore year. But at this point, I still have no Division One offers. Like, mm-hmm. so I didn't know. Um, so fast forward, I go home for the summer. Uh, I'll never forget this. So my sister at the time was in high school. She was like the top five players in the nation. So she was like, USA Today, first team, McDonald's All-American, Gatorade Player of the Year. She was everything you could be. (laughs) So I'm at uh, her national tournament in Orlando, Florida, at White Widow Sports. And it's like um, midnight. And my coach calls me and said, look, PJ, a kid got sick. They got one spot left in the camp. So this is Thursday. He said, can you make it to the camp? It's in Tulsa, Oklahoma. I said, man, coach, is it gonna be worth it? Now understand, I come, from, I come from nothing, Tim. Like it's literally 12 of us living in a three bedroom. We don't have no money. So my, I'm like, is it gonna be worth it, man? I gotta get all the way back to Minnesota. Then I have to find a way from Minnesota to Tulsa, Oklahoma, Thursday, all this same day. And he said, if you can make it, it's gonna be worth it. My mom and dad gave me the money and I flew back to Minnesota. I had no way to get to Tulsa. I asked so many people for the money, but all of the people I know, they don't have money like that to be able Mm. to get me there. And you gotta think about it. Like Tulsa is not like a big destination place. So it's expensive to fly there. It's a small airport. Like, Mm, so it's expensive. And then especially trying to fly same day because the camp started Thursday night. So I asked a bunch of people, they, they didn't have the money. So I said, okay, I know who I can ask. Uh, and I ended up asking Troy Bell, who was like an NBA player at the time. I was working out with all these NBA players. And I said, man, look, Troy, if I can just get the money, I promise I'll pay you back. I'll, I'll, I'll work it off. You know, I got a job, a little summer job, and I'll pay you back. He gave me the money, man. And he told me, you don't have to pay me back.
1: Wow. Crazy,
0: right? Yeah. You don't have to pay me back. You go down there and you just play. And Troy Bell really changed my life. So I got the money. I missed all the flights. So I had to rent a car and I drove. <laughs> oh, <geez. laughs> you do You understand. Look, I'm a 19 year old kid. i never drove across the nation by myself. Like I drove literally from Minneapolis to Tulsa, Oklahoma. I ended up taking my cousin with me because I didn't just want to drive by myself. So I drove all throughout the night, got there the next day at 8 a.m., and I played, you know, three games. Only kidding the, the, the whole camp who didn't have no jersey. I wasn't on none of the the, uh, the flyers or anything because I was a late ad. And there were like three, all of the division ones there. And I played amazing, bro. I played absolutely amazing. I went literally from zero to hero. <laughs> <laughs> zero to hero. Bro, the story is crazy.
1: Dude, so, it is crazy. I'm I'm just like, I'm getting giddy <laughs> over here listening, man. Keep going.
0: <laughs> so It's crazy. So, play amazing the first day, I'm walking out of the, the, the arena to go to the dorms and uh, literally off no sleep, because I've been driving all night. I see the guy who runs the camp, Mr. Jerry Mullins, and I say, man, Mr. Mullins, I'm, I'm super grateful that you allowed me to play in this, uh, your, your event, and that you allowed me to come late. At-. He said, are you the kid from Midland, from Minnesota? I said, yeah, he said, you would not believe it. I've got so many coaches calling about you. I'm like, what? Because look, up until this <laughs> point, man, I have no offers, no scholarships, no interest, you know? So he's like, yeah, a lot of big schools are interested in you. So immediately is like, I'm super happy because you work your whole life for an opportunity that you don't know if it's gonna come or not. Mm. But I think a lot of people get discouraged along the way and they end up not working and preparing for opportunity because they can't see it in their foreseeable future. Mm. But that's the wrong way. What happens in life is, when you start off on a journey, it's beginner's luck. Everything starts to go right for you, but then you come to a point past that where everything starts to go wrong or it's like such a long road where Mm -hmm. you don't see success anywhere in the near future. Mm -hmm. but you got to continue to work because this is just the route of it. It's Mm -hmm. a part of the journey. So I worked hard for years and years and years and never once was looked at by a scout. And then I get a call in the middle of the night. And then I like, you know, find a way to get down there. Like got to jump over all these hurdles. I finally get there. I play my heart out and then I potentially have, you know, somebody who is interested in me still don't know who, but I have a lot of people who don't believe in the vision like me because it's been so long. Mm. So next day I play, play phenomenal, do well again. The first coach to call me was Brad Stevens. Now understand, Brad Stevens is the coach of the Boston Celtics right now.
1: Yep. But
0: it was his first year at Butler.
1: Oh man, uh, dude. Those yeah. are some good teams he had at <laughs> Butler.
0: Right. <laughs> so he recruits me. He's like, look, PJ. Um, I just recruited a kid named Gordy Hayward. He's committed. Oh. Now, at the time, I don't know Gordy. You know, all right, all right. it's like you come with him. You guys can really kill it, knock it out the park. You know, we're gonna have some great teams. And I said, all right, I'm gonna come on a visit next week. So got off the phone with him. Um, next call I got was from Coach Mata, Dad Mata. Mm. He's like, uh, from Ohio State. We just went to the national championship this year. Mike Conley, who now has been in the NBA almost 10 years, uh, more than 10 years, wasn't supposed to go to the NBA, ended up playing phenomenal in a tournament, and went to the NBA. So we didn't recruit a point guard. Um, uh, We want to offer you a full-ride scholarship. Can you be here Monday for summer school? (laughs) Literally, bro, my life, overnight, zero to hero. Zero to hero. I went from junior college to going to the team that just came from the national championship. I said, of course. I drove straight back to Minnesota, straight to Ohio. I didn't have none of my stuff. All my stuff is still in Texas. Zero to hero.
1: What'd you tell your parents? Hey, mom, dad.
0: Yeah, I'm I'm going going to Ohio Ohio. State. (laughs) Like, I
1: I was telling people,
0: (laughs) bro. I was telling people that I'm going to Ohio State, and they didn't even believe me. I called my coach, and I told him I'm going to Ohio State. He's like, yeah, stop kidding me, Pete. And I'm like, no, I'm calling you to tell you that Coach Mana's about to call you right now. Like, yeah. Oh, my As soon as I get off the phone with you, he's going to call you. Like, people (sighs) did not believe because that's how quick success can come. That's how Hmm. quick your life can change. And, you know, this podcast is all about, like, living your dream. A long time before you ever live your dream, it's going to be a lot of tireless, hard uh, work. And you look like an overnight success. Overnight success takes years and years and years. You just don't see that other part. So, yeah, yeah, man, my life changed like that. My story is even crazier. Like, okay, so I go to Ohio State, play junior year, play behind a guy. At the end of my, uh, I mean, at the end of my sophomore year, the coach who recruited me, so coach might have never seen me play. He recruited me sight unseen, offered me a full ride, never seen me. Another coach seen me and told him that he needed me. The coach who actually recruited me ended up going to Ohio University and so then I'm like man should I transfer with him because he had a vested interest in me and he wanted to see me be successful so he left Coach Amada like literally like was like um there's no spot for you here um you should transfer and I remember being at like my exit meeting for that year like you know you do and um just like no God brought me here for a reason like I'm not going to leave. You can bring way more current guards, but they have to play against me. Fast forward, I work my tail off. Beginning of the next season, first 10 games of the season, I don't play a second. Mm. So I'm like, now, dreams been given to me, snatched away again. Mm. Like, I'm at rock bottom. Like, I've worked my whole life for this. And I get here, and now I don't even have an opportunity to play. And I'm working hard. I'm staying after... I'm I'm so frustrated. I would sit in the arena after the meeting, after we like get done with our game meeting and everything. I would wait till everybody leaves, and then I would come back out and I would go shoot. And I would see the people who would clean the arena after they'll be in there while I'm shooting late at night. Because I never let that discourage me. What I did instead of getting upset is I turned back into my passion even more, and I use that to keep working. And a lot of people when They come to a point where life doesn't go or the journey is not what they thought it would be. You come to a point where the test comes and you can either turn around or you can figure out a way around it. And you might jump up on a barrier, fall back down, try to go around it, figure out it's too wide to get around, try to go under, can't go (laughs) under. But you know, yeah, yeah, this is how it is, man. You just got to kind of figure it out. And sometimes God intervenes and or things happen. The universe is going to be on your side. You just have to keep going. Like, mm. this is just what it is. Ten games into the season, a guy who is playing a freshman, he was a McDonald's All-American. He comes in and he says, like, man, PJ, I'm transferring. I'm like, what? Bro, you're playing. He's like, no, Coach Mata promised me that I was going to play 30 plus minutes. I'm only playing 20, 20-something minutes. I'm leaving. So. He transfers, guess who's up next? They don't have nobody. I have to play. (laughs) So now, like, here we go. First game I play, we play Iowa. I'll never forget this. I won the game for us. Was player of the game and everything. Went from zero to hero again. Now, bro, I'm starting playing every minute of all the games. Like, life is back good. Like, literally. Coach Mata come and hug me. I'm like fan favored every day dude <laughs> crazy crazy right fast forward so evan turn is my best friend playing on the team at the time you know he's six nine he's playing the three position i'm playing the point guard everything is going amazing we lose in a in a triple overtime game in the ncaa tournament crazy game like one it's the game that they play on most memorable moments one shining moment they always shows clips from that um okay So then I'm like going into my senior, like, okay, of course I'm gonna play. I just came off starting second half of the season, playing amazing. I get to my senior season, bro. I don't play at all, back to like nothing. It was like the hardest time of my life because like I got my dream snatched from me, then ended up working hard, got back on top. And then like the last opportunity I have to like show the professional scouts, I don't even play. Evan, in the middle of the season, broke his back crazy. Went for a dunk, broke his back. So then he breaks his back, I get in there, I play amazing again, start starting everything. Evan comes back, right back to the bench. So nothing. So I graduated early from school with a degree in uh, economics. So right after the season was done because we was on trimesters, I just left, man. I was so mad and frustrated. I had a two bedroom, two level apartment, I left everything, all the furniture, all the TVs. I just grabbed my clothes and I just got in my car and I drove back home. And I said, I'm done. I'm never going back to Ohio State. How they did me, I was so mad. When I came back home, man, like now, crazy prod twist. During that senior season in the NCAA tournament, I got a message on Facebook like, um, sorry, PJ, I never told you, but you got a two year old daughter. Crazy. Like, bro, really, like, shocked my world. I had, like – man, I was so shocked that I, like, slammed that computer, unplugged it, plugged <laughs> it back in, turned it back on, logged <laughs> back in. Like, is this message fake? It's real, bro. So I graduate, um, go back home like Superman. Now I'm, like, working and playing to the NBA Summer League. Um, like, now I – thinking about like, all right, I got to go to Texas and figure out about my daughters. So like I messed with her mom a couple of times, but it was just like, uh, you know, a fad thing. She played at New Mexico. She was from that town. I was in Midland. And so I never talked to her after I left. She went her way. I went her- my way, you know? So I go back down. I get my daughter. Understand, bro. I've had my daughter since then. Her, My daughter hasn't seen her mom in 10 years. Her mom ran off after that. So I've been a single dad now this whole time. So now understand this, just graduated from college, trying to work out for the NBA draft, trying to go overseas, play professional, have a daughter. And my whole world is upside down. I don't, I'm not like working a job, Um, nothing. You know, that year was crazy. So I ended up going to Vegas for the NBA Summer League. Uh, The agent I had was from overseas. I never knew nothing about this. I ended up, I thought I was going to be playing with the the Warriors, ended up only being able to work out, not being able to play in the games. And if I never get an opportunity to play in the games, then I have no chance to prove myself. You know, when you're in them polos and khaki, you don't get to play. But I was (laughs) working out, doing all of that stuff. So never got an opportunity to play. All the contracts that I thought was going to happen for overseas went away because I never played in any of the games and so um now i'm like what to do now my dream is literally like gone i have no way to follow my dreams um i am at home i have a degree i have a daughter i can't go live with my mom and dad because there's 10 and 11 people living there i'm living with my grandma i'm living with my friends everywhere i'm going i'm bringing my daughter her mom is ran off not answering the phone bro i was working construction I was going to work out at this gym. I was doing so much like odd-in jobs, valeting cars. Now understand, it's super humbling when I just came from the biggest university in the nation, flying private everywhere, like being on ESPN like every game, to now I am literally taking the bus places. I am literally like uh valeting cars and people are like, are you PJ Hill? What are you doing here? Like. It's like super embarrassing and super humbling. I'm doing construction on jobs with guys who are like, man, I used to watch you. What are you doing here doing construction? And I have to explain my story over and over and over. It's very humbling. At the time I was working out at this gym, 43 Hoops. And I was working out there with a bunch of other pros. And one day a guy didn't show up to do a session. Like, you know, they train kids there. And I've never worked trained kids or any of that. So the guy who owned the gym, Chris Carr, asked me, can you hop in and do a session? Like, and I'm like, yeah, I don't, I've never really worked with kids, but it's easy, you know, ended up training uh, a kid and uh, a group of kids and being phenomenal at it. So they asked me the next week, can you do it again? And I'm like, yeah, I'll do it again. Then do it again to the point where I started working full time there, like Mm. just training kids, but all the while grinding. So that was the summer, summer ends. And now I get to like the fall, no contracts, nothing. But when you're training kids at 43 hoops, it's only, you can only train kids for three hours after school. Mm. So I'm literally making like $300 a week training kids, like nothing. How am I supposed to survive? I ended up moving in with the old uh, girlfriend of mine that I had from high school. So me, my daughter, her, her sister and her girlfriend in a two bedroom. So it's like five of us in a little two bedroom. Like bro, literally a thousand square feet. Three of us staying in one room. I had nothing bro, I went to like all the way to bottom. I would walk from 43 hoops in St. Louis Park all the way to Minneapolis to my house. Super embarrassed so I would stay super late till everybody left and I would grab my daughter and I would walk all the way home because I had to sell my car to survive. I literally had nothing. But all the while I never gave up on my dream. I would go to Forty Three Hoops early in the morning. I would ask the guy Tom Schuster and Chris Carr, who own it, can I get in early so I can work out? They obviously wanted to save on money, so they didn't turn on the heat. I would be in there with like hat on, full like jogging suit, working on my game.
1: Mm-hmm. People would
0: Come in, like, dang, what is he That's doing? Some
1: Rocky, some Rocky type stuff, bro. Right there. <laughs> whatever you gotta do to make it,
0: you know. <laughs> I did that for a whole year. Fast forward, so. Chris Carr would train NBA players, guys getting ready for the draft. Fast forward, it was a kid uh, who came into the gym. He had a bunch of scouts with him and everything. He had played at Wisconsin, so I knew him. And a bunch of scouts, all of these people with him. And and I asked, I seen all these people working in, and I asked, like, man, can I hop in this workout? Now, understand, I've been working out for a whole year, so I'm, like, super ready. He's getting ready for the draft. I hop in a workout. I do unbelievable because I'm hungry, man. Mm. I'm hungry for my opportunity. Like, and uh, I had a guy agent come up to me. and was like, look, if I don't know who is who I'll say you're Jordan Taylor. I'm like, nah, man, I'm PJ. I just work here. You know, he's like, you're too good to be here. What are you doing? If I can get you an opportunity to play professional, uh, would, would you go? And I said, of course, like, that's what I'm working towards. So, exchanged numbers with the, the the agent. Didn't hear from him for a couple of months. He called me in the middle of that summer. So but now middle of summer. And he's like, uh, I got you a job to go play in Latvia. Uh, you leave in two days. Bro, I packed in my stuff.
1: <laughs> Literally two days. Dude, like, your life is crazy, man. <laughs> my life
0: is, bro, it's never been the, it's the longest route ever. Boom. Got the call, went over there. The rest is history, bro. I played almost a decade overseas. Like, went there and went at, Let's go. you know, all-star game, MVP, played in Greece, Latvia, China, Russia, Finland, like all over, man. So God is like, truly bless me, man. Mm, but man. It, it, it was a lot, bro. It was a lot. And you yeah. know, my story even gets more crazy, like, yeah. okay, My last, I went to play in China, made the most money I ever made. So I'm like, man, I'm about to be good. Then after that, I played in Russia, having the best season I ever had. Like, about to be to the point where I don't have to worry no more, man. Like, I'm going to have, like, I'm going to be good to where I can transition to something else. And, like, last game of the season, I tear my Achilles. Mm. Oh, So it's like. I was so mad It's like, dang, here we go again. I've worked so hard for all of this. And now I tear my Achilles like after I'm having the best season I've ever had playing in one of the best leagues in Europe. And it's like, damn, I can't catch a break. So all the while I'm still training kids at 43 Hoops. I've worked my way up. Now I'm the head trainer. So like I create all the programs, I do everything. So I go back home. I'm training kids, but now like I'm on like a scooter, training kids, but like really thinking about my life, like what am I gonna do? Like I can get better and I can go play, I'm still young, but damn man, I lost all of the contracts that I had because nobody wants to take a guy with a torn Achilles. I have to wait at least a year, I'm not gonna be ready. So I'm training these kids and most of these kids I train at 43 Hoops are, are wealthy kids. So uh, kids who have gym dinner homes, kids who mm-hmm. live in Eden Prairie, Edina, you know, very wide setup. I usually deal with the moms and the nannies. I deal with the dad at the very beginning, but the dad is usually out working. So you don't really see them much mm-hmm. after that. It was one day he was coming every time in the summer, whether it's 10 a.m., 1 p.m., Didn't matter what time it was. He always showed up for his son's session. And he was like super actively involved. So after like, you know, summers of seeing this from him, like that summer when I was hurt, I asked him, you know, one day like, man, what do you do that affords you all of this freedom to be able to come watch your kid in the middle of the day? You're like the only dad who's always here. He said, man, I'm the vice president of investments at Wells Fargo Advisors. So I said, dang, I'm looking for somebody to help me manage my money. I gotta like get more serious. Up until this point, I never thought about my money. I've always been good at budgeting, but I never invested maybe a little bit, but didn't have nobody to really teach me and really be my primary financial advisor. So um, he said, let's set up a meeting. So I set up a meeting with him. Um, He's working downtown IDS way on the top floors. So I walk in. It's all this mahogany wood in his office, and I'm like, "Oh shit!" I, like I, mean, <laughs> I, I don't have tens of millions of dollars. You know what I'm saying? I don't. Have, I'm not a multi-millionaire. I think I'm in over my head a little bit. You know, <laughs> I got you know a couple hundred thousand. I'm just doing all right for myself. You know, in investable assets. So I get into the meeting when I'm wearing, like in this long you know, conference room, you can see the whole city, it's uh, glass windows, floor to ceiling, you can see the whole city. And he says, PJ, before we talk about your money, what do you, I wanna ask you, what do you wanna do, you know, after basketball? And I said, man, that's a great question. You know, I I never really thought about it. Uh, I don't know, maybe be take over this gym, 43 hoops. I'm unsure. And he says, In this business of finance, I I never talk about religion and I don't talk about politics because it's people on both sides of the fence. So you have to be very, very neutral. And I said, yeah. He said, two weeks ago, I was watching the U.S. Open and they started talking about athletes going broke from bad advisors in their life and just from lack of experience. And he said, I literally heard a voice in my ear, PJ, that told me to make you a multimillionaire and offer you a job and mentor you and sponsor you and to do everything to make you double what I am and then pass you my book of business. He said, so if I can offer you a job, paying you X for the first couple of years and then when you'll be my junior partner, then we'll be equal partners. And then you'll take over my position, my business one day. Would you be interested? He said, I'll mentor you the whole way. I'll do everything. He said, I've been watching you for two years and how you interact with people. You have everything to be awesome in this business because this is a a relationship business. This is a business about charisma. This is a business about trust. Like you have all of those things. He said, the numbers and stuff, I can teach you that. That's easy. And he was like, would you be interested? I said, yeah, like, yeah. So (laughs) this is what I did, bro. I walked out of that meeting, like going in there to like get my money managed and walked out basically with a job offer. My promise to him was I had to pass all of these crazy tests, the series seven, the 63, the 65, the insurance. So what I did, bro, I went and played one more year professional, but the whole time, I self-studied, I self-studied. Crazy story about myself studying. The first time I took a practice exam for the series seven, I got a 43. I literally called my wife, I was like, there's no fucking way I can make it in this business. I'm not gonna be able to pass this test. It's a seven hour test. There's only two tests harder than that to, to become a, a lawyer and uh, forgot what other tests they told me, but them, them are the only, the bar exam and one other exam. Them are the only tests that are harder than these tests. So I said, there's no way I can make it. So this guy, Jeff Dodd, he's trained all of these people to pass a series seven and everything. So I ended up taking his class. It's like a um, couple week class and you go there and it's like from nine to five every day, six days a week. I took it one time. I ended up asking him, can I take it again? I took it three times, bro. So at the end, Jeff comes up to me and says, "Um, PJ, man, you are like working crazy hard, developed a relationship with this guy. And I said, man, I I just gotta like push and I really wanna pass this test. And I said, Jeff, man, what's the most practice exams you ever seen anybody take? Understand the practice exams are three and a half hours. He said, the most I've seen anybody take was 18 practice exams. And they passed the test with flying colors. He said, why are you asking? How many, how many practice exams have you taken? And I was like, super embarrassed, bro, because I'm like, like, damn, I'm like, am I over the top? I said, I've taken 63 practice exams. Bro, I took 63 practice exams at three and a half hours. I worked this hard because look, I, I told him, I said, Jeff, man, I have a family. I got eight brothers and sisters. I got a daughter who you know, whose mom has ran off. I got a newly fiance. I I have nothing to go back to. I don't have nothing. I have to make it in this. Mm-hmm. I said, I can't leave it to chance. I took all of them exams, bro. I passed my Series 7, 63, 65, all on the first take. All on the first take. But that's hard work, man. That's been mm-hmm. the story of my life. I don't have a gift of talent i don't have the gift of being better or the privilege to come from a crazy wealthy family with connections my gift is literally people and hard work mm. that's it
1: mm. man your story <laughs> is going to impact so many people listen to this dude because it's so i've just been i've just been taking this all in man it's so real you know Like you think about the success cycle of life and people assume that things are just going to happen or when I graduate, this will happen. But the reality is, is that there's this upswing and there's a big downswing and there's an upswing and there's a big downswing. And what you have to be able to do, which your story is just like beautifully portrays this is when the downs come, are you gonna quit or are you gonna keep going? That's like literally... I remember Jay Z's like big quote, like the genius thing we did was we didn't quit. Like right. That, that is, that is, that's, it's so huge. And, and like you said early on too, like I think even the very beginning of your story of like, I didn't have any offers, but I kept working. And then I didn't have this, but I kept working. I didn't get invited to this camp, but then this happened. And then I got there and then this happened and then this, and it's like, that is how it works. Like that Thanks. is, that is life. And when I always think about like the dream, like I think we are sold, you know, we are sold outcomes, right? Like yes. go to school, there's an outcome, get this job, get this amount of money, retire so you can, you know, live happily or whatever. But the reality is, is it's the process, right? It is like, it is that journey. It is that yeah. like how, cause you loved basketball and you knew that yeah. and you were like, I am going to see this through until like there is no more possible way to see it through and I think that mentality right that mamba mentality yeah I I think that carries over because I mean I know we have such different stories but you know like I said like seriously I was the kid in high school who AU was was shooting hoops four hours a day I was lifting I was doing everything I was supposed to do and I did everything I possibly could to play basketball and I finished, you know, my high school career and like, I wasn't made to play basketball, but you know what? Like the outcome didn't happen, but I was happy with the process. I did it. You know, I did the process. And then what happened, just like how you found this new thing is it opened my mind to say, okay, wow. I like, I learned all this stuff. Like what, what, what am I, what am I made? What's next? Like, what am I made to do next? And it just, and so I think if you can adopt that mob of mentality and that mindset of like, I'm going to go after this until it doesn't make any sense anymore, until I'm 40 years old and can't put up a shot anymore, then I'll, I'll find the next thing. Like it's such a powerful way to approach life. And man, I just commend you for going through those lows, going through those lows and saying, look, I'm not going to stop because this is, this is where my heart is. This is what I, this is what I want to be doing. And, and I think it's just such a powerful message for so many people out there who want to do big things with their life to say, Hey, look, you're not going to graduate and be 21 years old and just have life be like this, you know, I'm walking through flowers. And- oh,
0: it's, it's never like that, man. It's like, it's, they always say, it's, it's who you become in the process is, which is most important. And oh. I always tell people what success is, it's, uh, it's, a uh, you, it's a bunch of failures that lead you to a place. So you fail your way to success. That's exactly what you do. That's what practice is. It's like controlled failure. Mm. You figure out like what works, what doesn't work, and you just keep trying. And life, what it's meant to do is test you. Because mm. how do you know if you really want it if you're not tested? How do we know we got faith until mm. you know you have to use it? That's yeah. what, what life does. And what, what it what it's done with basketball has done for me, I always say. I didn't make it to the NBA, but I played professional. But what it did is it built character. It taught me how to deal with people. It brought me all around the world. And now I come to this job and now, okay, transition to the George Floyd thing. People are reaching out to me like, man, what are we going to do? Like, we need to do something. Uh, my buddy Royce Wright reaches out and says like, man, we should do a, a march for, uh, you know, just us athletes to use our platform to speak out. I said, I'm with you, he said, PJ, I really need you because you are able to relate to people and you can articulate what they feel into words. And so people can understand. So we go on this march thinking it's just gonna be 40 of us athletes, turns out to be 15,000 people. I get up and speak a couple of times and now I'm the face of the movement. It's not because I wanted to, but all of this stuff that I went through in life has prepared me to be able to deal with people to be able to inspire, to be able to relate, to be able to say, I hear you and I'm going to fight for you. Mm -hmm. And I'll be able to stick up because I know what it's like to be in a marathon. I've ran it. So I use that blueprint and just apply it to this.
1: It's so powerful, man. I want to talk about, you know, that march and and all those things that we're doing too. But just one more comment on what you said is, you know, and you mentioned this like way, way early on too. Um, but basically what, you know, the idea that like all these little failures and all these little things, like it's all just teaching you something. It's all just uh, building you. Okay, here I learned patience. Here I learned humility. Here I learned, you know, the, like you said, the humbling moment when you were working valet and construction or this failure. taught. To- and it's all, it's all building you up and it's all pushing you somewhere. And the question is, And you said this when you were talking about your early, you know, your early days at, uh, I think it was Midland, which was, you know, why why is this not happening? Why am I not getting this? Why am I not getting playing time? Or why are people not recognizing me? But the reality is, it isn't about that. There's There's probably a reason. There's probably a reason, you know, if I'm not, if this podcast isn't being listened to by everyone in the world. It's probably because it doesn't deserve to be listened by everyone in the world. So what can I do to be better? What can right. I do to step up and to deserve that? To deserve someone like PJ Hill saying, yo man, I listened to this or I see what you're doing. I respect that. Like Thanks. that's not on you, that's on me. I need to earn yeah. that. And so I think having that mentality and having that idea that all these failures and all these things, it's just about, I'm gonna take this and I'm gonna be better. I'm gonna take this and I'm gonna be better. And like you said, now here you are. And uh, for listeners out there like, I saw, I was in the crowd at this, at the celebration for life was the one I saw you at for George Floyd. We were at Meta at US Bank Stadium and I saw you up there and instantly, like you said, I could feel an energy. I could feel, I was like, man, I got to reach out to this guy because, because I just, and that's all of your life and all of my life coming to a moment where we're saying, here we right. are, here's where yeah. we're going to connect. And that's, I think it's so cool. Um, and so it being someone who, like you said, you teamed up with Royce White and a bunch of other athletes, you know, in those moments, in those marches, you know, what were you feeling from that crowd? I felt a lot of energy from that crowd. I felt a lot of positivity. I would see a lot of pain, a lot of, uh, a lot of emotion. What was your mindset like when, when those marches were happening and just really right after the whole, you know, the killing happened, you know, what was going through your head uh, thinking about this happening right on our home turf and uh, just the things that, that you were going through and feeling as this was all going down?
0: So I'll take you along the journey. I I remember, so I told you my uncle's church and the church that I attend, my great uncle's church is right there on 38th Chicago. So my uncle and my mom actually witnessed the murder. They seen it to later figure out that it was George Floyd and all that, but they were coming out of church that Monday evening. Mm -hmm. I seen it Tuesday morning on social media. And the first thing is like, you know, you go through super mad, like, okay, another black man killed by the police, it just once again proves that these things have been happening, but now they're getting caught on tape. But, you know, you're like just so mad because you look at the, the face of Chauvin, he's not even flinching. He's not flinching. Like, he doesn't, he's not even, you know, thinking I'm killing a man and there's people watching. So you're mad and then you're sad and then you go through this of like, you know, kind of scared for your kids, my my brothers and sisters, of how they're gonna grow up in America and when will this ever change? It's been hundreds and hundreds of years. So then you go to the march and then in the march, what you see is the best of humanity after coming from the worst of humanity. Mm -hmm. You see people, no matter what color you are, black, white, you know, Asian, Hispanic, uh, Native American, We're all coming together as one. And you start to say, this generation, this time, we got hope. Okay, we all stood on the backs of the greatest generation who broke a lot of barriers, who made a lot of sacrifices for us, but they've passed the ball to us. Now it's our turn to take it, it's our generation's legacy to really move the ball forward and kick it the fuck out the park Mm -hmm. and make profound change. And I think young people with social media Your community is not just the box you're in. You look at the world as your community and you're not looking so much as color. You're looking at, it's just us. And that's what you see in the marches. That's what it was missing from the older generation because it's so much separateness. The young people are truly together and technology has done that for us. And just the integration of everything that's happening with the United States and it being such a Mecca that people wanna to come to. So that's what I feel, i seen the best of humanity. When that truck, excuse me, when that truck came through on the 35W bridge when I was out there in the front, it didn't matter what color you were. You were trying to save people. Like I was literally grabbing people and throwing them over on the other side of the bridge. Cause it was absolutely crazy. I didn't care if you were white, black man, woman, uh, uh, LBGT or not. It doesn't matter. I'm going to help you get out of here. And a lot of people were running away. I was running toward the truck because this is what I do. Like, if I'm gonna lead these people, you know, what happens is in times of adversities, people's gifts rise to the occasion. And that is just my gift to lead and help people. And that's what you have seen. So that's what I felt. And I seen the best of humanity. And that's why I like, Now I'm getting into activism. I'm not a formal activist. I'm a member of this community. I'm a leader. I'm a person who's passionate about people. Mm -hmm. I can lead and inspire and encourage people to fight in a way that we can make profound change. Now I see looting has its place. It brings attention. Though I don't agree with that, I understand it. Mm -hmm. But now as we move forward, how do we move forward from that? Yeah. How do we make real change? How do we get people registered to vote? How do we get people to understand the importance of not just the big elections, but the local elections Mm. to get people to understand them things that are not taught in school? Because I was never taught about voting.
1: Nope. Nope. Yeah. (laughs) Or really any, I mean, any. Or anything, personal
0: finance. (laughs) I was never taught how to live my dream. I was never taught that happiness is not tied to a job. It's not Mm. tied to things. It's tied to Mm. living, doing what you want. So I tell people the true test, there's four types of wealth. There's financial wealth. There's social wealth, which is fame. There is time wealth, which is freedom of time. And then there's physical health, which is your, your health. There's physical wealth, which is your health. You always got to be weary of one and two things that give you one and two money and fame, but they take away from your time and they take away from your health. So true wealth consists of all four. Really, you want the freedom to be able to do what you want when you want. That's true wealth. Mm. It's not just money. Because I know a lot of people who are super wealthy, but they're strapped to their jobs. Right. They can't leave. Right. I can do what I want when I want. Mm. That is true wealth. That's what we want.
1: Yeah. And that's what, yeah, man, it's, it's crazy. I mean, all this, all this stuff. And, uh, you know, for me, like just to give you a perspective into my world, you know, I feel like, you know, growing up, I, I grew up in the church. I went on mission trips and we'd go to Nashville, Denver, Chicago. Uh, and what, what that was for me, and I didn't really realize it is, I was associating all these problems and stuff with places other than my own home, right? Right. You come back to Minnesota. I grew up in a great suburb. Went to Maple Grove High School. Had a good family, and so here I am in my little bubble. Like, oh, Minnesota is this perfect place. We don't have any issues here, right? And I don't know why it took me till I was 23 years to realize this, but now this happens, and I'm seeing all this stuff, and I'm like, man, you know, it would be a lot cooler going back you know 15 years like growing up like let's learn about the problems in our own communities let's get involved in our own communities let's volunteer and everyone you know everyone in planet earth is searching for a sense of purpose and meaning right go outside there's a million issues in the world right and so it's like how do we start to tap into that more because as i started to see this and you know at first there's this emotional reaction um you know, this emotional wave from everybody. And then that emotional wave starts to die down. And it's like, okay, what now? Like, it's been yes. what? How long has it been? Two months now, maybe? Two
0: months. Yeah. So it's months. like,
1: what What now? What do I do now? How do I use my gifts, my skills, my certain things? And and how do I make it not about me? How do I go to people like PJ, who are leaders in the community, who actually are black, and have actually been through this stuff, and say, hey, man, like, how can I help be a part of this? How can I help serve it? Is it, is it, is it voting? Is it, is it reading more? Is it education? Is it, you know, just like that guy saw something in you, if you're putting yourself out there, maybe somebody sees something in you and says, Hey, I think you could be good in this role. I think you should right. help out in this way. And so my mindset now is really trying to think, okay, the emotions are died down. You know, if I wanted to I could remove myself from it at this point. I could like a lot of us, a lot of white people have that privilege to remove themselves from it. How do we not do that? How do we right. stay the course and keep going? It's like, that's what I'm trying to think about is like, what now, you know, how do we sustain this and how do we keep pushing the ball forward? All of us collectively together.
0: Right. And, and I think that starts with like, like you said, just having those sometimes tough, tougher conversation. And keep talking about it like like what you're doing right now. Because uh, it's a lot of times, like, I may not be able to talk to your group of friends or mm-hmm. your family or get to people that, that, you know, that I can share my story and say, like, this is real life. That could be my neck. That could be Jamar's neck that they're mm-hmm. standing on. Right. But because you have the privilege of being able to know us and be your friend, what do they say? The world moves amongst friends. So then you're able to go back to your community, your neighborhood, your family, and keep that conversation going. And that's one thing that we can do. And then when you see those people with them beliefs that are hindering all of us as humanity, then you 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 say something, you address that. And I've had people you know, reach out and call me and say like, I had no idea my grandparents were this racist and all of this. I mean, stuff comes out when you start talking about stuff, but you yeah. can't hate them people. You have to love them. You have to hear them yeah. out. And then you have to be that example. Mm, yeah. And you have to keep coming, even though they may hate you. Like the story of the guy who turned all of them clansmen. I can't think of it right now, but mm-hmm. he called the Grandmaster. They hated him. He built a relationship with that guy. And eventually he's seen that like black people are not so bad. Turned him as a Klansman was his best friend then turned a bunch of Klansmen. But Mm. that's what it takes. It doesn't take hate. You can't fight Mm. hate with hate. You have to overcome it with love with Mm. positivity and you constantly be that example. You constantly be that. And then people say, damn, he's not too bad after all.
1: (laughs) Yeah, Man, that's, it's so powerful to hear you say that. Cause you know, I've just been, again, I've just, I observe. I think that's what I do. I observe things. And and I actually was just kind of studying the work of this very, uh, Brene Brown, I don't know if you know that is. Of course I
0: know Brene Brown, okay. she's
1: amazing. Yeah, amazing, right? And And so this book was called Braving the Wilderness. And as I'm reading this book, I'm like, it's like she knew. It's like she knew where we'd be in 2020 because she's like, everybody is choosing a side and isolating themselves far left, far right, Mm -hmm. this and that. And what people thought would happen is that we would find this sense of belonging with your own little crew as like-minded ideas Mm -hmm. and the world would be this big, happy place. In reality, people have never felt more isolated. Loneliness has never been a bigger issue in the world. And the amount of hate that stems from one group to the other is almost unfathomable. It's insane. If you believe this, you're a, you're, you're just a terrible person. And so I love how you say that because i just i keep hearing these generalized statements on social media and i'm like this can't be the way to go about it because that dude over there who believes this thing if i attack him with hate then what's what's that gonna do besides have him attack me back with hate right what's that gonna do and so how do i bring in with love how do i sit there and listen to someone who just believes the stuff that i totally don't believe in and be able to be in that conversation let my own ego go and and sit there and say, okay, I know his take. I know my take. He feels listened to. He feels heard. She feels heard. Now, how do we, now how do we make change from a place of here we are, where do we got to go? And how can I, how can I like you, like this story you have the Klansman, how can I now begin to say, Hey man, do you realize that we are all actually the same? Like, do you have, you know, do you you really, you know, start to get those things in their head. And so that's, that's what I'm trying to do. And I try to be very cautious of the things that I spew out of my mouth, because I know if I say something that's super hate driven and someone's around who hears that their instant reaction is going to be to snap back. And so I really am trying to be mindful of approaching these conversations with, with a level of just, uh, just uh intention, a very high level right. of intention, for sure,
0: yeah. I mean, and, and you can tell, like you you look at just the methods. Malcolm X was phenomenal, I love him, and he mm-hmm. had a, a great way to be able to speak. But you see so many more you see any statues of Malcolm X? So many people resonate more with Martin Luther King, because it's not hate that can drive out hate, it's only love, bro, mm-hmm. and it's only understanding of people, and then it's only being bigger. And they say, how long, you know, I get black people who say to me, how long do we got to be the bigger person? I said, seven times seven, just like Jesus said. Anytime he he slaps you, you forgive your your neighbor. Seven times seven. Seven times 77. Doesn't matter. You got your own, uh, you know, standard for yourself. I'm not basing on what he does. If I have chose to be the bigger person, if I believe that I'm going to live a life You know where I'ma encourage people, inspire. Where I'ma be a light, a beacon of hope. I am not going to lower myself and my standard just because of somebody else's actions. That doesn't make it okay. But a lot of people say, "Well, they treated us like this for so many years. We got the right. We may do, but does just because you have the right to do something doesn't mean it's okay. Just because the law says it's okay to do these things, like back in the day for oppressed people, that doesn't mean it's
1: Right. Yeah.
0: You have to find that moral compass in yourself and then you go after that. Hmm. And that has to be the standard for you.
1: Yeah. It's so powerful, man. And it, honestly, your story embodies what you just said, right? <laughs> yeah. how, how long is it gonna take? Hey, as long as it takes. Right. As long as it takes. And if it, and it's funny too, cause in sports, right? In sports, there's usually eventually some sort of deadline. Like what? Vince Carter made it like 21 years and now yeah. it's like all right, bro. Like I I can't move my body anymore. Like in sports, (laughs) there's some sort of deadline, but in life really there isn't, you know, it's an endless runway. It's an endless runway. If you're passionate about, you know, social justice, you can commit the next 80 years of your life or however long you're blessed to be on this earth to towards that mission towards that cause. And if you don't get it done, then the next generation is probably going to get it done. And you got to believe and have faith in the fact that, That is the general trend of humanity. We do all we can in our generation and then we pass it on to the next and say, all right, you're up. Let's go. Got
0: it. Yeah. And I think we live in the problem with society right now. It is, and I tell people this about building wealth, but this, it goes to anything in life. Building wealth or success is crock pot. It's like cooking in a crock pot, slow, simmer, long. It's not microwave, man, You can't just put it in there and it's just boom. The food is done. It's crock pot. So instant gratification is what everybody wants, but that's not how the world works. You talk about overnight success. No, it's 20 years before you see these people, but what you see the success comes to the light, but it's a lot behind them. That's anything. Racism has been embedded into a lot of people for so many years it takes time to grow a mighty oak, or it takes time to cut it down. Mm. So that goes to anything in life. If you're chasing a dream, if you're trying to change something, it takes time. It's crackpot, not microwave. Not
1: not the microwave. (laughs) I love that, dude. I love that. I'm gonna use that. I'm gonna steal that from you once or twice. (laughs) Oh, man. Well, I feel like everyone kind of asked this question, but you know, what are some things on your mind of, of things that people should be doing or thinking about right now as this, you know, continues to persist? Obviously, the election's coming up. Um, you know, what are some things on your mind? Uh people have probably asked you, hey man, PJ, what should I do? Uh what, what has been your general piece of advice uh when people are asking you that question?
0: You know, like I said, okay. Um, you know, keep the conversation going, keep being woke and, and change your moral compass. And don't be okay if you see something wrong or you see see something wrong be happening, speak out against them informal policies. It's okay mm. to stand up for what's right. I think we all got to do that. And I say, like, this is like my favorite line, my call to action for everybody, just do the next right thing. Mm. So whatever that may be, in your heart man. you know what's the next right thing. Just do the next right thing. If that's speaking out for somebody, if that's like how my boss has done me, my big boss from Wells Fargo, Chris Murphy, I know he's not going to be on the line. He's an old white man. But what he's done has encouraged me and given me a platform, even at my job, to be able to go do this. Hmm. So that's the next right thing. So
1: that's amazing. I encourage
0: everybody to just do the next right thing.
1: Man, I love that. Thank you for sharing that, man. Yeah. Um, well, I know we're we're getting we're getting a little over on time here, but I want to ask you a closing question Uh, because I asked everybody this on my podcast. Um, So the podcast is called Dreamology, right? And I I made that word as like the study of, you know, how to make our dreams a reality. And more importantly, right, like the modern day American dream. This whole American dream idea kind of kept popping into my head because I'm like, okay, I feel like I kind of grew up and a lot of people grew up with the American dream, but there's still a lot of stuff going on here. And so I decided to go to my friend Google, and just type in like, what is the definition of the American dream? And so I'm going to read it to you because I think it's really interesting. And then I'll, I want to ask you a follow-up question because of it. So the uh, definition, the, the OG definition of the American dream is the American dream is the belief that anyone, regardless of where they were born or what class they were born into can attain their own version of success. And now I feel like in our systems, we are kind of taught that the American dream is this, this is it. This is the package. When in right. reality, in the definition, it says your own version. The American dream is yours. It is whatever you want it to be. And so I'm curious, PJ, when you think about your definition of success, how do you define that for yourself?
0: My, um, I'm, I am a success when you're looking at the American dream. I came from nothing and I've lived, you know, my dream. Now, my dream for my whole goal in life is to inspire, encourage, and help people to reach their dreams. So I'm similar to you. Mm. That's what I want to do. I want to teach people about God so they can go to heaven, save their soul, and then inspire people to live their dreams. I know the blueprint. Mm. I know it's not easy. So I'm trying to encourage people to do that. That is my whole goal in life. Anybody can be successful. Everybody is successful at what they want. My mom, she doesn't wanna do anything but be a mother. So she is successful because she's doing what she loves. Mm. So that definition of success has to be, you are going towards what you want, going, Mm. working towards what you love. Don't Mm. let it be somebody else's.
1: You know, two things really stuck out in this interview to me. The first is that there are no guarantees, right? You could be chasing a big dream, just like when I was younger, I wanted to play in the NBA, and it didn't work out. But falling in love with that process, falling in love with that journey, understanding that there is going to be ups and downs, that there is going to be failures, there's going to be trials and tribulations, that you might not do it. Because once you understand that, you're set free. You're set free of the expectation of any outcome, and you can learn to just fall in love with the journey, the process of whatever you're doing, and keep going for it. Because if you can do that, the odds of you getting what you actually want are higher. There's a great saying that pessimists are usually right, but optimists usually get what they want because they don't quit until something manifests. And I think that PJ's story is a great example of that. I think that my story is a great example of that. And I think that when you look into your own life, just remember that. Remember that any low or failure or difficult time you're going through, like PJ said, all those failures are like leading you to a moment of success. You just have to keep going. Keep trusting it. The other thing that I love that PJ said was just do the right thing. Just do the right thing. That message gets so lost in today's world. We all are more concerned with being right than doing the right thing. So when it comes to racism, politics, sexism, equality, gender equality, whatever it is, just just do the right thing. What is the next right thing? That's all you have to worry about. You don't have to worry about being on the front lines or being the biggest activist in the world or put the weight of the world on your shoulders, which I often find myself doing. All we have to do is the next right thing. And so take out the notes in your phone, write down your biggest takeaways from this episode and send them my way. I would love to see them. I'd love to see what you got from this episode and love to hear your biggest takeaways. And finally, just remember that anything is possible. You just have to believe and keep working for it and you can achieve those dreams you want to achieve. So go out there, do big things in the world, create the world that we want to live in, make your dreams a reality, and I will see you next time.